Our reading is from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 29, which you can find on page 1008 of the Bible in the pews. It's page 1008. As we continue to uh, read Mark's account of Jesus' ministry, Jesus has just finished healing Jairus' daughter. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went round teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you, or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias had nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportunity came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. 
I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So immediately he sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, good morning. Do uh, keep Mark chapter 6 open. If you've just shut it, do uh, open it back up. We're going to look straight in. But um, let me um, pray for us um, just before we look at it together. For your word, we thank you that it is your word, that it has authority uh, over each of our lives. And so we pray as we look at it this morning uh, that we would respond rightly to it and to what it teaches us. Would you give us soft hearts and ears that are ready to hear and eyes that are ready to apply. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Well, I wonder if you're um, somebody who has a tendency to sit on the fence when it comes to uh, decision-making. You like to keep uh, your options open uh, rather than take the plunge uh, one way or another. Perhaps you're the person uh, in a conversation who doesn't like to offend uh, with your opinion, even if it might be right, and so you stay quiet and nice and neutral. Uh, Perhaps you're the person on uh, the social media site Facebook, who frustratingly clicks maybe to every invitation uh, they get on that site. Maybe uh, you're the person who is preaching this morning uh, and you decide it would be a better idea uh, to sit on the fence about whether you print your sermon out on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Well, I wonder if you sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. We've been uh, thinking about who Jesus is from Mark's Gospel and our morning services together. Uh, And in the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus demonstrating time and time again, we can't just uh, conclude that he's a mere man, or even just uh, a miracle worker, or a moral teacher. He's been showing through his miracles that he has the very authority of God himself. And we've seen him in the last few weeks demonstrate authority over creation, calming a storm. Authority over evil, uh, casting out demons. Authority over sickness, healing uh, that sick woman. And authority uh, over death. Uh, Colin reminded us uh, of Jairus' daughter at the end of last week. And the question Mark poses to us all the way through his gospel, particularly the first half, is who is uh, this Jesus? And I wonder if you've come to a, a decision yet. I wonder if you've come to a decision, uh, not just on who he is, though, but whether you're going to follow him and take heed of what he tells us. The passage uh, we're looking at today, I think, gives us a a number of things to consider if we're still weighing up the Christian faith and the kind of life Jesus calls us to. But it's also uh, a huge challenge. I found it a huge challenge uh, for those of us who say we are following Jesus. Perhaps you have been following Jesus uh, for a long time. 
You see, we can profess that we're not sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus, can't we? But I wonder if you've really thought whether in practice that's how you're living your life. Well, in Mark um, 6, we come to the end of a section where Jesus has been demonstrating his authority. And it ends with this rather uncomfortable little story of Jesus going back to his hometown, uh, where those most familiar to him, those who know him so well, they're outright unwilling to accept his authority. Verse 3, it's strong, isn't it? They took offence at him. They're offended, they're repelled by him. They hate what he says about himself. We're not going to spend too long in those verses at all this morning, but it's striking, isn't it, that those who are so familiar with Jesus are so unwilling uh, to repent, to take heed of his message, to turn to him as Lord. Even Jesus is amazed, in verse 6, of their unwillingness to yield their lives under his authority. Well, perhaps as we begin, there's a little warning uh, as we consider whether we're sat on the fence uh, with Jesus. Many of us, uh, I know, are very familiar with Jesus and his teaching. We're here most weeks. Uh, Lots of us have had good Bible teaching week in, week out for much of our lives. But familiarity with Jesus can be a dangerous thing. You see, uh, we can learn about Jesus. uh, We can sing great songs about Jesus. uh, Maybe we can even want to bring our friends to hear about Jesus, but not be fully responding to his authority in our lives, to repent, to accept him as Lord over every area of our lives. Repentance, I think, is the central issue uh, in this passage, particularly verses 7 to 29, which we're going to concentrate on this morning. It's the message that Jesus sends his apostles out to proclaim in verse 7 to 13. It's the message that Herod tries to compromise over in verse 14 to 20. And then we see the consequence of that compromise, of not wanting to repent, that leads in the end to John the Baptist's death. In one of the commentaries, the title for this chapter was A Head on a Plate. (laughs) That's how it ends, isn't it? So we're going to look at those uh, three sections in particular. Firstly, uh, the call to repent. Secondly, the compromise of the king. And thirdly, uh, the consequence of of the compromise. So firstly, uh, let's look at verse 7 to 13 and the call uh, to repent. Jesus has uh, been rejected, uh, but he carries on with his mission. He calls and sends out his apostles to the surrounding villages and towns, And you notice their message is the same one as his. He doesn't try a different tactic. The message is repent. That's the message they're sent out to proclaim. God's king has arrived into the world that has been ignoring him. And the message is to turn back to him as Lord. Now it's easy here, I think, to want to put ourselves into the story, isn't it? As those who are sent out into the world on Jesus' mission uh, and to start applying ideas uh, for mission in this world, what it might look like um, today. Do we all need to wear uh, sandals at Christianity Explored? (laughs) It doesn't mean that. Uh, There are some principles we could apply. We're not going to go into them today. But 
The reason we're not going to go into them is because I don't think Mark allows us to jump into the story that quickly. Did you notice how careful Mark is with his language? He gives these particular men a specific name. He calls them the Twelve, verse 7. And later on he calls them the Apostles uh, in verse 30. The only other time in Mark we hear those names uh, is back in chapter 3, where Mark specifically calls these men and promises to send them out with his authority to call people to repentance and to perform some of these miraculous signs. Unlike uh, us today, they're specifically given this job to do. They're specifically given the authority of Jesus. I wonder what you'd expect Jesus to do with all of his authority. What you'd expect him uh, to go and say. I wonder what you'd say if you had the authority of God. Well, his message is quite simple, isn't it? Verse 12. They go and proclaim that people should repent. And they back it up with the miracles as well. If we want to jump into the story here, uh, we're actually those in the villages uh, and the towns, aren't we? The ones who need to hear this message and to listen and respond. So although there are some good things to say about mission from this passage, maybe that's another sermon sometime, uh, the primary application for us is not about being sent, but about being called to repent. Now I know for many of us, you're probably thinking, this sounds such a familiar message. Move on to the next point. But just because something's familiar doesn't mean uh, we shouldn't take heed of it again and again and again. It's dangerous uh, to be over-familiar. Jesus' family are a prime example, aren't they? Repentance as well is not something we ever move on from. It's the way we start our Christian life, and it's the way we continue. We don't ever graduate. Perhaps you're wondering how I graduated if I skipped exams <laughs> earlier. But we don't ever graduate uh, from repentance. Colossians 2 verse 6 tells us this, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, as Lord, so walk in him. Carry on as you started. In other words, begin with repentance and carry on in repentance. I'm just going to uh, pause and stop for a moment and just explain what we mean uh, by that word. Often we hear repentance and we we think it's a call to pull up our socks and to try to do better. Well, that's not really what repentance is. That's DIY uh, religion. Perhaps uh, we sometimes think of it as feeling really, really bad about the bad things that we've done, which might be a good thing. Uh, But just feeling bad on its own isn't repentance. Repentance is best understood as a change of mind. It's not just turning away from some behaviour. It's changing your whole outlook on life to say that Jesus is Lord. That he has authority over every inch of our lives. And when that change takes place, if it's genuine, well it should result in a change in our actions. But we need a change of mind. You might remember um, that Terry's um, chocolate orange advert with Dawn French from a few years ago. If you've ever had a chocolate orange, you know it's broken up into different segments. And in the advert, you've got Dawn French comes along 
Uh, and despite the engraved wording in every segment of chocolate that says Terry's, uh, the little quip from Dawn French as she steals a bit is, it's not Terry's, it's mine. And she scoffs it. Well, don't we often have that kind of thinking when it comes to Jesus? He's allowed authority over some parts of our life. Maybe lots of our life. But there are other parts where we simply say, it's not Jesus's, it's mine. For you, it might be uh, your money, it might be your time, it might be your gifts, it might be how you uh, use your tongue, how you treat your wife or your husband, how you bring your children up. And the challenge will be different for each of us, won't it? But true repentance leaves no room to say, that's mine. Jesus is Lord, which means all our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions need to come under that banner, under his authority. That's the call uh, that the apostles gave uh, the people back then, and it's the same message um, today. I remember uh, going to uh, Africa, I went to Uganda, um, whilst I, not whilst I was at university, I didn't skip any exams this time, but I was out in Uganda to visit some mission friends, and we went to visit a bishop up in the north of the country, and one of my friends who I was with was thinking about going to work uh, in the Church of England, and he asked this bishop, how do you know um, if you've been called? Uh, and he sat there for, for a minute, I wondered if he'd sort of conked out really, but he, he's, he, he did talk in the end, and he just said, God gives us one call, and that's to himself. Answer that and everything else will become clear. I found that a really helpful bit of advice. But it's true, isn't it? Jesus calls us to repent, to say that he is Lord. Another little helpful phrase for us to consider. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So before we uh, move on to think about Herod, uh, let me ask you whether you're too familiar with Jesus at the moment. Are you responding to his call to repent? Is Jesus at really Lord? Well, we're going to move on uh, to meet someone where Jesus' lordship is the very issue and King Herod compromises. So I've called verses 14 to 20 the compromise uh, of the king. The apostles are, are going around preaching this message and Herod's ears are pricked uh, by Jesus' name. He's heard of this Jesus before from the preaching of John the Baptist. Earlier in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we heard that John was arrested. And now we find out a little bit more about what happened. It's interesting, isn't it, that Mark interrupts the story about the apostles going out and coming back with this story of Herod. He didn't just lose his train of thought. He's put it here for a purpose, to teach us something about repentance. John's uh, arrested... Uh, we find out it was Herod who arrested him. Herod had got this illicit marriage with his uh, brother's wife, Herodias, and John had clearly challenged him on it. He'd called him out on it. And so Herod knows uh, this call of repentance to say that Jesus is Lord. Herod, you're not Lord. But do you see, did you see as we read through, he compromises it. He sits on the fence Let's just uh, read verse 17 uh, to 20 again. 
For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. The king's got this problem. He knows that John is a righteous and holy man. He quite enjoys sitting and listening to his sermons. Goes down for a chat in the cell, possibly. Who knows? But he also knew what John was telling him to do with his relationship. And his wife, perhaps there's a bit of advice for anybody looking for a wife here. But he also has got this wife who hates John. <laughs> really hates John. She wants to kill him. But rather than uh, repent and say Jesus is Lord, he compromises, or he tries to compromise. On one hand, he locks John in prison to please Herodias, his wife, but on the other hand, he fears John because he knows he's righteous and holy, so he protects him uh, from death by putting him in prison. Again, on, the other, on one hand, uh, he doesn't want to murder John and give over to Herodias's wishes because he quite likes John. But on the other hand, uh, he wouldn't want to give over to John's preaching about repentance because he liked Herodias uh, far too much. He's probably scared of her as well. I hope you can see though, it's an incompatible compromise. God's message of repentance is totally incompatible with the kind of lifestyle Herod wants to live. He probably thought it seemed a sensible idea though, to stay as neutral as possible. Our culture does seem to think that's a good idea, doesn't it? How many people today tell you that they don't want to, com to commit fully to the idea that there's a God? They don't want to say there isn't a God, but they don't want to say there is a God. And I might have to find out about him. Sit on the fence, try and compromise. Or perhaps someone says, well, I certainly believe Jesus uh, was a good guy. He taught some good things. But I'm not willing to say he was the Lord of the universe and he has to say something about this in my life or that in my life. Or perhaps let's bring it home a little bit. Perhaps some of us sit in church each week and we listen to what's taught. But when it comes to applying it to our lives, well, we're not quite willing to do that. We'll sit on the fence. And it seems like a smart move to compromise. Well, Mark, I think, is using Herod to teach us about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. And compromise with sin is just not compatible with true repentance. And even just the smallest of compromises with sin can lead to complete disaster. In Cypher, uh, recently, we've been uh, looking at the book of James. Uh, one of the big challenges he gives to the Christian church is that friendship with the world and following Jesus uh, are like two boxers uh, in a ring. They hate each other. Uh, they can't be uh, together. He says, James 4, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
So think about Herod here. He can't truly repent and carry on his relationship with Herodias. The two things are mutually exclusive. But he tries to compromise with two things that don't go together. And what Mark's teaching us about discipleship is we can't entertain sin and true repentance. That's not to say we might not struggle. We're in a spiritual battle, which is a struggle. But we must be incredibly wary of somehow comfortably compromising, like Herod. I don't know about you, but often we know, don't we, that something in our lives is not under the lordship of Jesus. And the truth be told, that we actually just love that sin a bit too much. I wonder if you ever find yourself thinking like this, I'll just indulge this time. I'll just bend the truth a little bit this time. I'll just click on that internet link this time. I'll put it under Jesus' lordship tomorrow. Perhaps. Well, if we're to learn from Herod, we need to stop treating sin like some friendly little cat that might give us a little scratch, a harmless scratch from time to time. And instead, see it as this raging lion completely at odds uh, with our relationship with Jesus. I've always found this quote helpful from uh, John Owen. He says this about allowing no compromise in our lives. He says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Continually compromising is a very, very dangerous game. And that's what we see in the final part of this passage. I've called it the consequence of compromise. You might have heard that quote before, sow a thought, reap an action. Uh, Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It's a little warning that even the smallest of thoughts can lead us down a track that we never thought uh, we'd end up down. And I'm sure that's what Herod was thinking as he tried to protect John initially, but still continue his relationship. But it's amazing how it ends up, isn't it? That little compromise, or seemingly little compromise, grows into a situation where he ends up uh, with John's blood on his hands. The prophet from God. Remember, he was trying to please Herodias rather than rid himself of her influence. But she strikes, doesn't she? She strikes when he least expects it. He's probably had a few glasses of wine. Uh, And the consequences or nothing like what he expected. Just imagine the scene, this great banquet of King Herod. Uh, He's got all of the powerful and the prestigious people there at the table. It strikes me that everything, everything in this picture says, Herod is Lord. (laughs) Not Jesus is Lord, let's celebrate me. (laughs) No doubt the dancing entertainment was questionable, as it was often at King's banquets. And as Herod is basking in his own glory with all these uh, royals around, he makes this fatal error. He's showing off his wealth, uh, trying to impress everybody, and he says uh, to his wife's daughter, I'll give you whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. Such a flippant kind of comment to make, isn't it? 
And look back at verse 26 to 29. When Herodias has asked for John the Baptist's head, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. You see how the story ends. Uh, Herodias wins. She gets John's head. The compromise of the king ends up with serious consequences. Herod ends up rejecting the one God sent because he compromised when it came to the message of repentance. I don't know if you uh, noticed, but isn't it similar to what happens with Jesus later on? The world ends up rejecting God's son because they wouldn't submit to his message of repentance. They refuse his authority just as those uh, so familiar with Jesus did. Just look at the similarities for a moment. I think that Mark wants us to see what's going on. Herodias wants John dead, but she has to wait for her opportunity to get John in verses 19, 21. She's waiting for this opportunity. Then you've got King Herod, the man uh, with the power. Well, he gives into the pressure and he hands John over to be executed, verse 27. And do you notice that strange little remark at the end in verse 29? Why bother include that John's disciples came, took his body and laid it in the tomb? Why do we need to know that? Well, can you see the similarity with Jesus? Later on, the chief priests and the scribes, they want Jesus dead, but they have to wait for their opportunity to get him. Pilate, the man with the power, gives in to pressure and he hands Jesus over to be crucified. And the disciples take Jesus' body and put it in a tomb. Mark's uh, teaching us of the consequences of ignoring the authority of Jesus over our lives. If we continually seek to compromise with sin, rather than change our minds to truly repent, to say Jesus really is Lord, we leave ourselves on this dangerous road. Every time that we compromise with sin, uh, we... We try and sit in some neutral zone of safety. But the reality is we're becoming harder and harder to Jesus and his word. I have a friend who I was uh, at school with, who I used to lead uh, a Christian union with. Uh, it's interesting that he went off to university, got stuck into a Christian union. He probably went to his exams because he was a doctor, um, so he needed to. Um, I did go to the exam, I just left a bit early. But... Um, he was living his life as a Christian and off he went um, to his placement and he stopped going to church. Not really regularly, uh, but perhaps he just stopped going uh, every other week uh, and he became harder and harder to it. And a couple of us met up with him at Christmas and we tried to chat to him about it, encourage him to get back into church. And then we found out that the reason he'd stopped going to church was because he got a girlfriend who wasn't a Christian. And then we found out they decided to move in with one another. And 
I don't know where he is now. Well, I know where he lives, but um, I don't know where he is Christian-wise. But it was those little decisions about going to church, those little decisions about, interestingly, a relationship again. It's a strong pull. When we harden ourselves to one bit of God's lordship over our lives, uh, we could be find ourselves rejecting Jesus completely, even though perhaps we didn't intend it. So let me um, finish. If you've identified this morning with some area of compromise that isn't responding to that true call to repentance, well, don't just leave it till tomorrow. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. There's a good reason, isn't there, that the psalmist says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Whether you're familiar uh, with Jesus, like his family was, or whether you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, don't sit on the fence. Don't try that compromise game. Unrepentance led John to his death. Uh, It led Jesus to his death. And if we continue in unrepentance, well, we will get the fate that we deserve. The good news of the gospel, of course, is that need not be the case if we turn back to him and accept his offer of forgiveness. But we're called uh, to repent, uh, not to compromise. Let's um, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know each one of our hearts. You know uh, where we struggle, where we are unwilling to turn to you as Lord in particular areas of our lives. And we pray that you would help us to recognise again the authority of the Lord Jesus over every area of our life. And we pray that we would not be those who compromise and wander and stray and ultimately find ourselves cut off uh, from the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.